time for school days. Help for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Welcome to School Days, help for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I'm Danita Bailey. I was sitting having coffee one morning watching Good Morning Texas, and this super cute neurologist was introduced. She talked about something called neuroplasticity and training your brain to function differently. But she had an interesting spin on it. She talked about training your brain using the practice of gratitude. I was intrigued about how this could possibly impact students. So immediately I Googled her and I sent her an email to see if she'd be interested in talking to our audience. And she's here today. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Gratitude is something that doesn't come naturally to me. I'm definitely one of those analytical glass half full people. Uh, but I do work really hard at not skewing negative. And in researching for this show, I've become fascinated with the concept that you can take your brain off of autopilot and make it do different things. Gratitude has been proven to not just impact your mood, but to improve your life. Yesterday, I caught up with Robin. And Robin is a mother of two. And she told me about how her gratitude journey started with her struggle with infertility. Let's listen to what Robin had to say. My journey with gratitude began in the back of my closet, crying into a pillow so my sweet husband would not hear me yet again, screaming out to God, why can I not have this one thing that everybody else seems to have? And he said, I said, would, I would be so grateful if you would just give it to me. And he said, are you grateful now? And I wasn't, because I didn't have it. But I walked out of that closet agreeing to begin a journey of being grateful for what I had right then instead of being angry about the things that I didn't have yet. And everything in my life changed. So why did you decide gratitude was important to instill in your children? I didn't want them to grow up to be entitled spoiled brats to start with, um, but I want them to live life with open hands where they're generous because if you're grateful for what you have, you don't live discontent with what you don't have. Before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show or hashtag I am school days. And also we do want you to be a part of the show. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. And also we are live on Facebook on our page at Noggin Education, or I'm sorry, <laughs> at Noggin Foundation, and that's N-O-G-G-I-N. Also, we are proud to announce that School Dazed and I have been nominated for two Sharky Awards. We're nominated for the Best Blue Bowl Show of the Year and Best Female Host. Thank you so much for that honor, and we would love to win, but we can't do that without you. So head to schooldaysshow.com and cast your vote. And I will also put a link in the Facebook live feed here for your convenience. So go out there and vote. You can also go to fbrn.us and vote on that page uh, for the Sharky Awards.
So without further ado, let me introduce my guest. Stacy Damford is an educational neuroscientist and a gratitude expert. She has a master's degree in mind, brain, and education with 25 years of teaching and communication experience. She has taught thousands of students from many grades, different grade levels to achieve greater success by maximizing their strengths and uncovering their hidden potential. Stacy is also an award-winning educator. She was voted by Fort Worth Magazine as the top teacher of the year in 2016. Her graduate research study on how the brain processes gratitude gives her the unique opportunity to change the way parents and schools look at how children learn and develop. So welcome, Stacy. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. We are, uh, we, I keep saying we, because my husband used to host with me. I can't get it out of saying we. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad that you're here today. So really, let's just jump right in. What grade did you teach or grades? You said you taught for 25 years. Yes, I've taught almost every grade except fourth. Okay. So and what subjects? I, I did, well, I had elementary school, you know, you have every single subject. And then mm -hmm. I taught GT self-contained for many years. Then I taught GT outpool for several years. And then the last eight years, I taught high school art. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. And what's GT outpool? Um, it's gifted and talented where they come to you for an hour. So you oh, have several okay. different grades. Okay. So come. you're kind of pulling them out. Uh -huh. Okay. Gotcha. So how did you decide to start focusing on grad, uh, to, to change your whole career and start focusing on gratitude and become a neuroscientist? I had a student in my class that was always calling my biggest lemon um, he was the hardest student I ever taught. And it was when I started teaching high school and I knew nothing about teaching high school. I'd come from fifth grade and he was just hard mm. and I'd never had that before. And I asked my daughter who was a senior at the time, I was like, Oh my gosh, Brooke, I can't do this. And I, I was telling her, you know what he did. And she, I, she said, mom, no one cares what you know until they know how much you care. Mm, that's a good quote. And she said, what do you know about him? And I said, he's mean. That's what I know. <laughs> and I she, to stop. she said, that's why he's still mean. Aww. And so the very next day I started trying to ask him questions about himself and his hobbies. And every single day I would tell him something good. And it, some days it was, oh my gosh, I love the way you part your hair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was all he did good. And, but it, it took a while, but after about three months, I noticed that when he came into my room, he had a smile on his face. And then six months, he would like, hey, Miss D, what's up? And I was like, oh my gosh, this was working. Well, at the end of the year, he ended up leaving our school, but he and I had a great relationship and I kept up with him over the years. And he kind of went through a rocky road along the way, but he contacted me several years later and asked if I wanted to go have coffee one day. And I said, oh my gosh, I would love to. So while we were having coffee, I said, I wanna ask you a question. And I said, why were you so much different to me than all the other teachers? Because they would have learned to love you too. And he said, Miss Stanford, you smiled at me every time you saw me and you made me feel like you were grateful I was alive. <gasps> and I never forgot those words. I went home that very day and started looking up all the research I could find about smiling and gratitude because that's what he said made the difference. Right. Had no idea there was a science in both of those things. And I knew then that it was something more than what I just had accidentally stumbled on in my classroom. Oh, that's amazing. So what do you do now? What's the, the gratitude business? That is a business that is teaches people how or companies how to rewire their brain or their businesses using gratitude. 
And it sounds like a, you know, a woo-woo science, but it, it's <laughs> backed by 1.6 million studies with data, control groups, research. It is a very wide study, and it shows benefits in almost every area. It's universal, you know, regardless of race, religion, culture. Everyone wants gratitude, and everyone seems to benefit from it so far. Yeah. So you do some work with the Gladney Center for Adoption. What do you do with yes. them? Yes. Well, I did a podcast with them. And then while I was there on the podcast, they asked if I would come do a staff development for their whole staff. Okay. And then I'm coming back in January to do a keynote for the parents and the children and, and the people who've been impacted by Gladney. And what kind of things are you teaching the parents? I'm going to teach parents how to incorporate gratitude, especially with children who've had trauma in yeah. their life. And, you know, and people don't understand that just because your brain thinks it, it's your truth. It's not the truth. Mm -hmm. And I never understood that either. I thought everybody, you know, had a brain that worked the same way. And when you have a child, especially, who comes in with some kind of trauma, and what seems logical to you that this is not that big a deal to them it, the wiring is massive yeah and learning how to to help bring gratefulness to those children in the midst of that trauma is is crucial in helping them move forward so what is neuroplasticity it's a big word that we're starting yes. to hear a little bit more of now but what, what is that big word? It just really simply means uh, the ability for your brain to change connections. And when I was in school, and even up until about five years ago, I always thought your brain was what it was, you yeah. know? And, and I remember, you know, of course, your parents, when you're a teenager, you're killing your brain cells. <laughs> and, and, you know, you think your brain, you just have it, and it does what it does, and it never changes. But they know now, up until the day you die, your mm. brain has the ability to change and rewire itself. It's like you have little roads in your brain and you can go down the same road or you can alter the roads. And that's what neuroplasticity is. Okay, so if you have a connection in your brain, talk about like physiologically what, what that is. About, okay. what it is. So let's say like, for example, I, I use this all the time in my retreats and my workshops. It, when, when you see the word dog, you know, just the letters D-O-G, first of all, your brain instantly transforms the letters to the word and then you make a picture. Right. Well, some people make a picture. I thought everybody loved dogs because I do in my family, but about 35% of the people instantly go to fear when they see the word dog because they've had one bite them or they're afraid of them. So whatever your brain is telling you, like fear, danger, or cuddly, yummy, sweet pet, your brain is building connections and connections and connections and connections. So before you realize it, you know, you're sweating, your heart's racing, or you have this sweet, warm, you remember the pet you had as a kid that, you know, walked with you to school. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I had no idea that your mind and your brain are not the same thing. And your brain is the physical mechanism, but your mind are all these connections and everybody's mind is different. So everybody thinks differently, regardless of what the word is, everybody's is different. And it's based on your experiences and your thoughts. So with neuroplasticity, do you break those connections and make new ones, or you just make new ones and they override those? They actually, I've seen uh, studies where you can watch them atrophy. They just, they drop off and they quit working. And that's why people that are really negative 
or really positive, you use that connection over and over and over and over. And so you're telling your brain, this is important. And your brains are built for efficiency and they don't want to go through all the steps. So it doesn't, when you see the word dog, you don't go, oh, furry, four legs, animal, (laughs) mammal. Your brain already knows what a dog is, but it's going, oh, you hate them. Be, Be afraid, be afraid. Your blood pressure goes up, stress level raises, or it's sweet and yummy. So when you tell your brain, you override it, and I tell people all the time, if you don't use your head, your head will use you. Yeah, yeah, and that's you, so good. you have to say, oh, yeah, that dog that bit me in third grade is not this dog. Hmm. I'm going to override this because my friend has a dog and they love their dog. So you have to say, hey, stop. I'm not going to let that connection go there anymore. And then instantly your brain's like, hey, what are we doing? We hate dogs. And so then you build a new one. And then this one is still sitting here. So next time it's going to go right back to it because it's done that for 20 years or 10 years. And you go, no, remember, we like dogs. My friend has one that's nice. So pretty soon when you quit using it, that little pathway just atrophies off and it disconnects and dies out. So you basically just tell it, no, mm-hmm. that's not what we're thinking. Yeah. We're going to think this new thing. New way. But you have to repeatedly do over that so that it can start to die. Yes. The and, bad thoughts. And it does like with exercise. You know, people, mm-hmm. they've done lots of test studies on Olympians and athletes. And when your brain does a certain thing over and over and over and over, like my son is a coach and he, you know, you know, the swing, you can do it in your sleep, you know, but your brain doesn't remember how to, you know, dribble a basketball because this is what you do over and over and over. So you have to go, oh, we're doing that now with a ball. You have to reteach yourself. Mm-hmm. So Olympians, especially, their brains fire even in their sleep when they're dreaming about their event. Their brains are firing exactly the same way they do when they are actually doing, doing the it. event. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's incredible. And that's what plasticity is. Those those pathways become so ingrained. And they hold so tightly that this is what you do. This is what is important to you mm-hmm. that they, they stick. And they're like, oh, don't waste your time thinking about us. We know what to do for you. And we'll connect. That's gotcha. why people have addictions and, mm-hmm. and certain things that they always think. It's your brain's like, hey, don't, don't worry about it. We got it. We know what you think. You hate all of those people. Or, oh, you love those people. Or, oh, those people are like you. Or, oh, you hate math. Remember? And so automatically you walk into math class and... Your blood pressure goes up. Your brain starts going, oh, my gosh, you hate it. You're terrible at it. And and so you've got to go, no, that was in third grade. I don't hate math anymore. Last year's math teacher was so nice to me, and I feel like I did so well. We like math now. So it's just a matter of being in control of your brain. Be the of, boss yeah, be of the your boss. own mind. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Are there things that can affect your ability to rewire your brain? Yes. There's two different kinds of neuroplasticity. There's structural neuroplasticity and functional neuroplasticity. And functional is just about the functioning of the brain. So someone who's been in, say, a car accident or is born with a certain type of damage to that area, your brain will functionally build new pathways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we see this in people that have had a stroke and their brain just rewires itself. There, there's a, a little girl on YouTube that is missing half of her brain. And the only thing she can't do is use her right arm to full extension. But her brain has rewired itself to do all, to the, do thing- all the stuff that yes, the other side of the brain did, did not do. It's oh, wow. fascinating. So structural neuroplasticity is changing the structure, changing those little roads because you chose for them to change. And those are can be based on behaviors, environment, diet, sleep, certain things like that affect that part of the neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. 
So what also happens in that area of the brain that we see w- uh, these things happening in? Are there other things that this area is responsible for, for gratitude? Oh, yes. Gratitude. Yeah. It's such a phenomenal study. And the, originally they thought gratitude was only in the limbic system. And that's what we call the emotional brain. And you really have three brains. Most people don't realize that. You have like a reptilian brain, an emotional brain, and then a thinking brain. And the reptilian brain is the oldest brain. It's the same thing that you have that is so does a lizard. And <laughs> but really, that's where gratitude begins in the reptilian brain. And I can explain more about that in a minute. Then Please. you have the uh, <laughs> emotional brain where all your emotions and your hormones are released and all that. And mammals have that also. That's what, you know, makes a zebra go, ah, a lion, run. You know, that's where okay. those emotional centers come. And then you have the thinking brain, which only higher order mammals have. And that means you can plan ahead. You can remember the past, change your ideas. So that part of the brain is completely different. But they used to think that gratitude was only in the emotional limbic system of the brain. And they do know for sure that it increases the size of your hypothalamus, which is part of the brain that releases hormones, which is why people that are grateful tend to have higher metabolisms and they tend to lose weight easier. Um, it, it does affect the way that your hormone systems work because that's the part of the brain that's firing that. It also works in the hippocampus, which is an area related to memory. And because you have to backtrack your memories in order to be grateful for them, And the amygdala is in that area also, which is the fight or flight. And so when you start telling your brain, no, I'm not going to be afraid of this because I'm so grateful my friend has a dog and I've learned to think differently about dogs or, you know, you have to override it. And it's like, oh, okay. So it changes the way those things function. But what Dr. Fuster was one of our professors that we got to Skype with um, in grad school. And he's a genius in cognitive networks. And he describes your brain as like a little spider web. And everything travels, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And you have 100 billion neurons in your brain. And each of those can make a connection. So, you know, it's limitless up there. So if I'm rethinking something that happened, you know, last year, and I'm like, oh, I remember those flowers. There was a field of those on the way on our vacation. Oh, my gosh, I love red flowers in a field. And my son was in the back seat. So you're tracking all of those memories. So that way, gratitude actually goes throughout your entire brain system. Hmm. Okay. What else happens in that area? What else is responsible? Or what else is that area? Of, well, you said it's all areas. Yes. But empathy and stress relief other things that that are happening in those areas the limbic system okay so let me go back to the lizard brain okay so please (laughs) in in your lizard head um is something called the reticular activating system and that's kind of been a big buzzword lately but it's like a little secretary and it's in the very base of your brain it's the oldest part and it's like a good secretary would let certain things in and keep certain things out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if the salesman calls and, oh no, she's in a meeting, (laughs) or if it's your mother that calls, oh, hang on, I'll get her for you. So you want your secretary to be on alert for the things you want. Uh But just like a lizard, you know, knows bird, bird, ah, you know, she's gonna get me and fly away. If you don't override it, it only helps you look for things that are dangerous or hurtful or whatever. So we only have seven spots of working memory in our brain, give or take two. So some people, you know, only have five working and your brain is receiving thousands and thousands of bits of information per second. 
and it's you only have seven little spots to hold on to so it starts chunking and go oh you don't know that's not important to you right now that doesn't mm. matter so when you are somebody I think I have five <laughs> I certainly don't have seven. seven. When you're someone who's really grumpy or really positive, your brain, like I'm, I'm the happy police. So my brain has been told, okay, we're always on the lookout for gratitude. So I'll see things that other people don't see. Yeah. And they're really there, but they, you just don't notice them. And so like, you know, on the way to school every morning, my son and I always look for things to be grateful for. And, you know, one day he said, oh, mom, look at those deer. And they were all walking, you know, in the school little parking lot. And he said, look, they look like they have on ballet shoes. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad I taught you this, you know, (laughs) because he looks. Well, the other kids that were in the car with us didn't notice the deer. Mm -mm. And it's not that they weren't there. They disliked them or they just weren't trained to be on the lookout all the time. Right. So it's the same way with people who are negative. If you think everybody's out to get you or you're scared of all men with beards or, mm. or you're, you know, you're on the lookout for all the bad things, your brain's going, hey, that's important. Let's hold one of those seven spots. Maybe let's hold two because you really hate it. And so oh. you you only have five spots left to go about daily life and because you're constantly on the lookout. Did you see that guy? I think he's fixing to rob that bank or, oh, my gosh. Look, you know, look, the weather oh, it looks like a tornado. Your brain is constantly on the lookout for negative. Is this why when you're stressed out, you forget things? Yes, because in, in the limbic system, so the reptilian brain, the reticular activating system, talks to the emotional brain, which talks to the, the thinking brain. But when people say, like, I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> you weren't thinking. Yeah. Because your blood flow and most of the activation of the brain is in these other areas. Mm-hmm. So the thinking brain is the last one to get the blood flow. Mm. So when people say, I wasn't in my right mind, you know, you, you see that all the time in testimonies in criminal cases. And they're like, I don't know what I wasn't thinking. They weren't. And it's because when you let your emotions control you, that's where all the flow's going. That's what mm. you're saying. This is important to me. People drop keys. You know, you see that in the movies all the time. And because the motor cortex is up here in, in the new brain, and you do, you, lo- you know, you lose your functionality of those things. Mm-hmm. And you, you are not thinking. And when you're super stressed, your cortisol level raises really high, and you your brain is just going, hey, we got to start processing cortisol because you're wearing me out with all this (laughs) dumping in here. Mm -hmm. And it's linked to belly fat. It's linked to all different kinds of things. Because stress itself is not bad. It's really built to protect you. Right. But it's only supposed to last about three minutes. (laughs) And it actually sends blood flow to your thighs because it's built for you to run and get away and be safe. But we now live in a world where we're constantly stressed out. Yes. And you even hear kindergartners say that, you know, I'm so stressed out. You're Mm -hmm. like, wow. What it does now, the newest research shows that chronic stress, which releases cortisol continuously, eats holes in the human brain. And we are living in a world where our little children are chronically stressed out. And it's so sad to think that we are raising generations of people who are never going to live at their best because we're teaching them at six years old mm. to save one of those spots for bad guys and danger and and all these negative things. Because your brain will watch out for those things already. It's built to protect you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use one of your spots to constantly be on the lookout for that. That's good to know. Um, can your brain recover? Yes. yes. So <laughs> by practicing these things, you've got all these holes in your brain from stress. 
can you recover? Yes. And, and there's and so, fill in the holes. There's so many things now that and we know less about the brain than we know about space, mm. which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But up until, you know, recently, the only way that scientists would they be able to see inside a brain was after someone passed away and they, right. you know they would look at it but you can't look inside a living human brain because it would hurt them so now because we have new technology and we can see you know with fmris and pet scans and spec scans we can see inside a working human brain and they know now so much that they didn't know before and brains have begun to heal themselves, and they're so much more pliable than we used to think. Yeah. And, and just like the little girl with half a brain, you know, her brain has somehow rerouted itself. And we used to think only certain things were on the right hemisphere and only certain things were on yeah. the left. That is a myth, and I still fight it all the time. To hear people say, oh, I'm left brain. I'm like, no, you're not. You're, you're always your whole brain. And so when okay. you hear that right brain, left brain, that's a myth that just seems will not go away, that neuroscience fights continually. And you never don't use both parts of your brain. There are certain things that, that function easier on the right hemisphere or the left hemisphere. But there's a thing in the middle of your brain called the corpus callosum, and it like constantly lets both sides work together. And there are people that have had severe epilepsy that have had to have that severed, Ooh. and their right brain does no longer talk to their left brain. And so they can see the word dog, but they can't tell you what the word is because the the processing of language part of the brain is no longer doing the same thing. But they can draw you a picture of it. Hmm. And then if you cover up the other eye, so the other side of their brain is working, they can say the word, but they can't tell you what it is. Oh, wow. You can Google it and split brain. And it's it's fascinating to watch these people and how their brains work. But other, unless you've had your severed, your whole brain is working at all times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the majority of us have not had that happen. Right. <laughs> so tell us what gratitude is and what isn't it. Okay. How do you is, practice this? This is my favorite question in the world. Okay. During my personal research study, um, 88% of the people thought they were already grateful. Because mm. most people think saying thank you and just nice manners, they think that's being grateful. And only 4% were actually scientifically grateful. And I was like, wow, wow. So that's why people aren't getting the benefits of gratitude and they're not seeing it in their lives. They're not seeing the effects in their body is because they already think that they're grateful. So what most people think of gratitude is what I call casual thanks. Mm-hmm. And it's just things you do casually, you know, thanks for my cup of coffee and the Starbucks holding line. The door open. Yeah, thanks for holding the door. You know, and you might even look at them and make eye contact, which is better than most, or thanks for letting me pull in the traffic or whatever. But you just go about your way that does nothing for your brain. Now, we do notice when they don't do it, and we call those people ingrates, (laughs) and it makes you angry. But when you are truly grateful, you feel it, and you'll feel it all over, and, and you'll change expressions. You'll have something, you know, you'll have some kind of emotion. When you have the emotion, that's when you've taken control of your brain. And that's when your brain is releasing chemicals. And I call it the chemical soup. And you you want the quartet singing in your head at all times. And that's serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins. Those are the happy guys. And And you want that quartet going off at all times. But if you don't feel the feeling, they're not releasing the chemicals. So like this morning when the lady gave me my coffee at Starbucks, and I purposely, you know, looked at her name tag, and, and I said, oh, thank you so much, Jane. 
And she looked at me and she said, you're so welcome. <laughs> and I said, I love coffee. I said, it feels like morning magic in my mouth. Thank you for <laughs> making it exactly to my order. And she looked at me like, are you on drugs? <laughs> uh, right. What planet are you from, lady? <laughs> but then I noticed, I watched her face and she was like, thanks for coming in today. And I was like, you know, because I called her by name. And That's then when, big. when I took my first drink of coffee, I made sure I felt morning magic. And I was like, oh. Gosh, I love the feeling of it going down my throat. And I always tell people coffee is my version of my granny. Uh-huh. And because my granny was my favorite human on earth. And she gave me the same warm feeling that coffee does. Uh-huh. And so my brain has now made a road for coffee and my granny. And so every morning when I drink my coffee, I always, you know, tell my granny, thank you for being the person that taught me how to love and that showed me the joys of life and to be a spunky spitfire girl. (laughs) And I say that every morning, but I feel my granny. And I remember as a little girl sitting in her lap and and that's what coffee does for me because I've taught my brain. It's not just coffee. It's not just caffeine. It's not the thing that keeps me from being grouchy and having a headache. It's my, it's my granny. And it just took, you know, it takes 30 seconds, 30 seconds is all it takes to rewire the chemicals to start dumping out and people tell me you know before they're like oh I don't have time to be grateful that's crazy and I'm like you don't have 30 seconds if you don't have 30 seconds you don't have a life and that's all it takes is to hold that thought for 30 seconds you and I could be best friends with your love of coffee and my love of coffee oh my gosh that's that's (laughs) my favorite thing (laughs) so it sounds like this is just intentionality yes and it mindful this sounds like mindfulness yes. we're actually going to talk about that next week oh, good. social emotional <laughs> learning and mindfulness but just taking a moment to enjoy yes you know to enjoy the moment and really be thankful for it so it's not just positivity no no, no. i mean like just even like right now you can you know sit here and you can focus on the the microphone and am i too close am i too far you know or you can go oh my gosh this is such a wonderful chance for people to get to hear about gratitude somebody out there can change their life i feel Mm -hmm. the sunshine coming through the windows i see the smile on your face and so i'm noticing all that rather than focusing on am i saying it right am i you know all that so your brain it just does what you tell it is important and so when children learn to do that and especially my 11 year olds so i was telling you a while ago i have a 30 year old a 26 year old and an 11 year old (laughs) a little gap there (laughs) and but my 11 year old has learned nothing but gratitude because that's all the person i've been since i had him so he's always on on aware of gratitude and he's so much different than my other children who've learned to be grateful as adults but his processing is out of this world and i'm like if, if it happens when you're young, mm-hmm. you know nothing but that. Mm-hmm. And you never save one of those spots for negativity. And so he always notices the good in people. And, Mom, did you see her cool shoes? Or that lady had pretty hair. Or, Mom, Mom, go tell her her eyelashes are pretty. You know, he notices all of those things only because he's been taught to be aware that the world is much better than it is hurtful. Yeah. I, I have to ask about the saving one of the spots for negativity so my mom said I've been worry wart forever and I work very hard to not do that but you know I'm not there yet so how do you what how do you people that worry are probably planners and things like that how do you make sure that you are still protecting yourself or still planning and making the the changes that you need, need to so that. that you move forward and you don't miss stuff <coughs> and 
Yeah. We just I talk- feel like I need five of my things okay. to be. <laughs> we just talked about that in the online class that I teach. We just did a whole little uh, live about worry. Mm-hmm. And the new research is crazy about what worrying does to your brain. And it, it works in the same area as addiction. Oh. And so it fires in your brain as a reward when you get the thing that you worried about. So what your brain does is like, see, I told you that was bad. Look, you did good. And it starts releasing dopamine when the bad thing happens because you, Oh no! (laughs) so you're constantly, my mom is a worrier too. And I never worry about anything. I always tell tell. my mom, it's like, (laughs) you did enough for all of us, you know, but what they, they have found that only about 12% of the things you worry about actually happen. Yeah. And the rest of it is, I call it negative imagination uh-huh. because you're using your imagination to plan the worst case scenario. And, and so people tell me all the time, well, somebody's got to worry, you know, we've got to make a plan. <laughs> well, what neuroscience teaches you is the definition for worry that is, is useful is if it's something that can be done something about right then, can you change it right now? And Everything else is something that you're wasting your time on. So say like retirement. Is there something that can be done about that right now? Yes, I can make a phone call and up the contributions to my 401k. Let it go. Or I can sit and worry about, oh my gosh, stock market's going down, the infl- you know, inflation. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Oh God, we're going to have to live in a trailer house. You know, and your brain always goes to the worst case scenario. Well, what you've told it is this is important to us. And if you happen to have the stock market crash, your brain's going, Pew, look, you were right. Mm. And it likes the negativity and it rewards you for being worried about it. Does that have something to do with the negativity bias? Yes. What our our brains are just built for negativity. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the research studies that I read said it's four to one. So for every one good thing that happens, four bad happen. But you focus on those four. And negativity bias is just your brain's looking at the negative situation first. But it is already built to protect you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, say like a little child who puts their hand on the oven. They're not going to do it twice. Right. It hurts. You know, and so they'll remember, oven hurts me or, you know, the top of it. So you don't have to constantly worry, oh, my gosh, is there an oven? I, I remember that day. It hurt so bad. But that's what we do as grownups. Uh-huh. We remember the man who hurt our feelings in college. And, and so anytime someone says something to us that slightly resembles what that person said, your brain, oh, remember how bad that hurt? Happen, it's happening again. Beware. And really, most arguments with anybody that you're in a relationship with is based on trauma that happened prior and you're actually blaming that person for something that has happened in your brain that they did not do. They just happen to remind you of that thing. Mm. And so your reticular activating system is going, mm, you know, fire, fire, fire. Remember, remember your mom always taught you to be careful with money and that women love to spend money. So then when your wife comes home and says, oh, look what I got. And you, bah, bah. oh yeah, my mom told me, you know, you, there's never enough money. Money doesn't grow on trees. We don't have, a, you know, it's not in the, buried in the backyard. All the things that we say, you know, in nonchalant mm-hmm. words, but they're really telling your brain how you feel. And do, do you get a good feeling when the negative thing happens? Yes. Just like with gratitude, mm-hmm. you get the dopamine hit, basically. Yes. And what else, what else do we get a dopamine hit from? I know video games. Video games. Any th- the, so the, the little quartet, guys. Okay, so dopamine is anything you desire. So when you get something you desire. So my morning coffee always brings me a hit of dopamine. Then serotonin has to do with yourself and your self-satisfaction, your self-esteem, 
when you like yourself, you like your accomplishments, you like the way your children have grown up. That's serotonin. <clears throat> then oxytocin is an oven. It's a warm feeling. It's, it's the love hormone. But I always also am conscious of that, you know, when my son sits in my lap and things like, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this feeling. He's 11. He's fixing to be 12. His days in my lap are short-lived. You know, my 30-year-old doesn't crawl in my lap. So I'm consciously aware to hold on to these moments and these memories. And then endorphins are, I call those the eclipse, they block the pain. <clears throat> so when you, depending on how you feel the gratefulness, you're releasing one of these four little guys in your head at mm -hmm. all times. And drugs also give people a huge dopamine hit, uh, especially heroin and, and the very addictive fentanyl and things like that. Those, those are, they mess with your dopamine receptors. Um, Prozac and, and things that people take for depression, those are serotonin boosts. And, uh, you know, oxytocin is, you know, in lots of things, especially when my brother died of a drug overdose and Oxycontin was, you know, his cause of death. And it, people want that feeling mm -hmm. and they they want it quickly and so they look for it sometimes in external things mm -hmm. not realizing that you can learn to give that to yourself, to yourself. at any time mm -hmm. of the day wow let's take a quick break and say that if you have any questions for our guest stacy danford our phone number is 214-431-5062. We would love to hear you, hear from you. And if you're watching us online on our Facebook page at Noggin Foundation, please feel free to type in some questions and we will answer them right away. So we are called School Dazed. I want to make sure that we don't, um, I'm geeking out with you here. <laughs> But I want to make sure we talk about how gratitude and the practice of gratitude can school. help with academics. Okay. So we're talking. Oh, what's, yes. So what's my question? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Say something. I thought we were still on the break. <laughs> no, no, no. No, okay. we're, we never we never left the air. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so how can it directly impact academics? Oh, it's a, that's one of my favorite things, too. Okay, so I was a teacher for 25 years. So after Andrew said this statement to me about, you know, gratitude and smiling, I started putting gratitude in my classroom. And I didn't know what I was doing. I knew nothing about the science of it. But I just started telling kids things I was grateful for. I'm so grateful you're in my class. You always come in here with a smile. I'm so grateful you're in my room. You're one of the best artists in here. You're always willing to help someone else. I'm so grateful you always bring me coffee. Thank you for being that kid. So I purposely was putting it in my classroom. Then I started making kids write in their gratitude journal every day. And mm -hmm. we would do that before we started our lesson. And of course, you know, in the beginning, they're teenagers now. I'm grateful I didn't die today. You know, it started <laughs> out like that. But then I would model it for them. And still, I knew nothing about it. But I knew after that, we won 250 gold medals, two state championships. We wrote one of the first high school books ever published on Amazon. Oh. And we raised $88,000 in just a little over a month. And I was exactly the same teacher I had always been. The only difference was I was putting gratitude into my classroom. It affected everything we did. Like what? It affected, well, for one, our achievements because we wrote out grateful goals. And I'm so happy and grateful now that, that I realize my hands are a gift. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy and grateful now that I realize that, you know, different pencils do different shading. And, and we would write it in terms of gratitude. But it, I don't know 
because I just, you know, didn't have the science, but I watched it and I was like, oh my gosh, there is something to this. These right. kids are like doing better. They liked each other better. Mm. And that is one of the, the effects that the research shows now is the um, school satisfaction levels go sky high when a gratitude practice is inside a school system. Parents like schools better. The kids like the schools better. The staff likes the parents better, and the staff likes the kids better. So the school satisfaction levels completely change when gratitude practices are put into place. And, of course, that does nothing, you know, as a teacher. Then when your parents like you, they encourage the kids to do more at home. It changes things. But what the big factor is it increases the trust. And anytime trust goes up, it shoots up the oxytocin levels mm. because that's what you have with your parents. You know, you're the person that protects me. But when you think the school has your back and you're here to teach me, and regardless of if I have a learning disability, regardless of if math's not my favorite subject, then you know this person cares about you. Right. You automatically open new receptors in your brain to learn better. But my favorite thing about gratitude is anybody, any teacher out there knows about the Bloom's taxonomy, you know, and, and all the different things that we try to teach and we try to get to the higher level thinking skills. But gratitude is the number one way to get kids to a higher level thinking skill without a worksheet. So like I used to ask my kids, you know, what's your favorite color? Because I taught art and they would say blue and I would say why? And they were like, well, I don't know. I just <laughs> like blue. And I said, no, that's not good enough. Tell me why. Uh, and when you have to think of why, most people don't know why. They love coffee. Why? I don't know. It tastes good. Why does it taste good? Oh, it's that perfect mix of tart and sweet. And it, it's warm when it goes down. But that requires higher level thinking skills. That's awesome. So every time we would do it in our class, you know, we, we did art history and humanities. And they would say, oh, I can't stand Picasso. Why? And they would like... Because I don't think that he was a classical artist. And why does that bother you? And because I work hard to be one. Ah, there you go. And we would just keep asking why, 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 You're why? making more connections. Yes, every single time. Mm -hmm. And so every, our bonus questions, you know, I would ask them, you know, who's your favorite artist and why? And, you know, we would learn to be grateful for all the different artists because that gave everybody an opportunity to have one of their favorites. But what they didn't realize is when they explained the why, they'd automatically move that to a higher level thinking mm -hmm. skill. And I watched this change in my students and how they treated one another. And we started to do gratitude to each other. Mm -hmm. And thank you for holding the door open for me because I'm on crutches. Or, you know, thank you so much for helping me after school because I was struggling with the nose on my portrait, you know. And when they started changing the way they behave to one another, I knew this was something magical in a school system because happy people don't shoot each other. Right. Happy people don't hurt one another. Happy people don't bully. When you learn that empathy for gratitude differences, it is magical and it changes you without you even realizing it. And it, it transformed my classroom. And it makes you want to go to school. Yes, when because you're, you know they love you. You know mm -hmm. they care about you. You know this place has my back. And they're grateful that I'm alive. They're mm -hmm. grateful I walked in the door for the contributions that only I can bring. Does gratitude impact self-esteem? Oh, yes, massively. And especially we, we would do little extra things, especially with my girls, because girls tend to have much less self-esteem than boys. Right. And, you know, you can think of 10 things you hate about yourself, you know, right off the bat. I hate my <laughs> butt. I hate my nose. I hate my hair. I hate my legs. You know, all the things. And so I would make them say, you know, what are you grateful for? 
there I don't like anything about me. Yeah. Do you do you like the fact you can breathe without a tube in your lung? Oh yeah, I like that. <laughs> All right, write it down. Do you like the fact that your eyes can see? You know, what if you were blind? Oh, yeah, mm. I like that. And so they learn to see themselves as something to be grateful for. Like, wow, I'm not necessarily proud of the cellulite on the back of my leg, but you know what? My two legs walk me anywhere I want to go. And I bet there's somebody in a wheelchair that would trade places. And, and you just learn to see things differently. And we used to always use the quote from Confucius that said, I was sad I had no shoes until mm-hmm. I met a man who had no feet. Right. And that's called comparative gratitude. And when you look at people that are less fortunate as you, and, you know, because you're mad that you don't have the new iPhone 11 or whatever, and, you know, all your friends have it, or they have all brand new cars, and we didn't, I didn't get one. But do you have one? Does it take you all the places you want to go? Can you go on a date? You know, does your phone call your best friend at night when you're dying to tell them your news? Then what else do you need it for? You know, be grateful for what you've got on the way to what you're going to get. And that's when the magic happens. I think also you talked a little bit about how girls have a lot of things that they don't like about themselves. I think when you're putting less energy and thought towards, you know, I don't like my skirt today. I don't Uh like my hair today. You're having the opportunity to put more things in there that will be useful for you. Because you're saving one of those seven spots. Yes. We don't like you. Mm -hmm. Remember, you have all these things wrong with you. And I bet everybody else sees them too. You don't have the right clothes. Yeah, you don't have the right. Your parents don't live in the right place. Mm -hmm. You don't have the right stuff. So I made my girls. We did it out loud. And and everybody who comes to my house knows I talk to myself in the mirror every single morning. (laughs) And there is the most fabulous YouTube video called Jessica's Affirmations. I, I use it in my retreats. But I tell people, go Google it. It's on YouTube. And it's a little girl talking to herself in the mirror. And she's, I like my hair. I like my haircut. I like my pajamas. I like my mom. I like my house. I like my whole life. And so we would say that in the classroom. But I talk to myself every single morning, you know, and I'll wake up, you know, at 52. Some mornings, you're not looking very good. (laughs) And I used to hate everything. That was the first thoughts that came to my mind. And now I'm like, you know what? You're 52. You've lived half your life already. Mm. A lot of people didn't get that. And I look in the mirror and go, girl, you look good. And, you know, most of the time I'm like, I don't know who you're looking at. But I giggle now and know that I like myself. And it's taken me 52 years to be able to say that. Mm. And if I could trade places with anybody in the world, I would say no. Uh, I would be me. I love that. Mental health has been such a big thing with kids now we're seeing kids with a lot of anxiety and depression and all sorts of things and they really do impact academics and how you perform in school so how does gratitude help with mental health oh it's so fascinating to well for one the 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 quartet that automatically helps you feel better because depression and and anxiety are really two ends of the spectrum, the same spectrum. Depression is focusing on the past and all the things you shoulda, woulda, coulda, and just so much negative towards yourself. Anxiety tends to be focusing on the future and all the things you're worrying about and you, oh, what are they gonna think and all that. But both of those release chemicals that, that you don't necessarily want in there. And when you are grateful, you're dumping in chemicals to help override those and at least keep them in check. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of research study from um, UC Berkeley on people with depression. And they did one study with people who had depression. They wrote their gratitude journals. Then some people just went to therapy. And then the third group did therapy and gratitude journals. And that group was phenomenally higher in their ability to feel better. Their depression rates dropped. 
And when you combine the two, gratitude just helps you see what you have instead of focusing on all the things that you don't. Mm -hmm. And especially a little kid who, the school for those people who don't teach, it is a scary place. And it's the same way as a grown up when you go into a party and you don't know anybody and you're just thinking, please, somebody come talk to me. You know, I don't want to be that girl that has nowhere to sit and nobody to talk to. School's like that every day. And especially for the kids who don't have friends and they don't have the click and they don't, aren't the smartest and the teacher may not necessarily call on you or like you, but when you can like yourself and walk in there and see what you have to offer, then you are using one of those places to give. And like, you know, you tell people, my son says all the time, my big son is the superstar athlete and my little son has no desire whatsoever to be athletic. And my big son asked him the other day, he said, Brady, are you going to play football? And he said, with this brain? (laughs) (laughs) And I died laughing. And I thought, wow, he's grateful for the gift he was given. He's really smart and he likes math and science. But (laughs) it's like, waste all this. Why waste all this? (laughs) But I thought, how funny that he doesn't see that, that he's not the super athlete as a detriment to him because he's been taught to be grateful for what he has to offer. So he never walks into a room feeling less than. Mm-hmm. He, he knows that if you pick me on your team, I may not be the best one, but I'll come up with the best strategy. Right. And, and I can help us win this game. And so he tells me all the time, you know, he said, Mom, I'm right in the middle, and I'm the perfect combination of nerd and athlete. And I'm like, that is awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, you're building your own genre. And But I thought, wow, how cool is that, that a sixth grader, you know, almost in junior high, the epitome of peer pressure, can walk into the world and like himself yeah. for the gifts that he has to offer. Yeah. And I'll also, I feel like... Um, Gratitude can help in dealing with adversity, learning how to deal oh, with adversity, yeah. grit and resilience. Because for one, it drops your stress hormones. <clears throat> and stress is what makes us feel adversity much more deeply than people. I mean, we all have adversity. I have adversity. And, and you know, even though I'm the gratitude police, I still have things happen to me all the time. But I don't stay in that moment for longer than about 10 minutes because I know once those chemicals stay in there that long, they're going to start doing things to my body that I don't want. But so a child who knows that even though, you know, you've had lots of bad things happen, oh my gosh, I can still be happy. Mm -hmm. Oh, this will pass. This too shall pass. And they learn that, you know, my dog died or my grandma died and we can have happy memories of grandma and we don't have to cry every time we see her, you know, a picture of her. We don't have to cry because I wasn't picked first on the team because oh, that person's not best at math. Mm -hmm. Oh, we all have differences. So you learn to look at resilient things in life and and the the adversities and the traumas differently because you know, this is just a moment. This is not my life. And this is a moment where I didn't do good on my test or this is a moment where I fumbled the ball Mm -hmm. or this is a moment where I scored two points for the other team (laughs) and not (laughs) this. That's the worst. Yeah, (laughs) this is not my life. I'm so much more than this. Mm -hmm. So people who are wanting to start, where do you even start? And specifically for those of us, and I'm hoping I'm not alone in this, that this is not something that's natural. It's not Um, because I've been doing it now for almost 12 years. And so I I tell people that everybody has a set point. It's kind of like your thermostat. Mm -hmm. And so my thermostat right now is on like 90 (laughs) because I'm pretty grateful all the time. 
But some people say your thermostat's just on 65, and that's the way it's been for 15 years. And you can't get to 90 just because you did a couple of weeks of gratitude. Right. Like you're going to move your thermostat to 68. And then when it stays at 68 a while, you can move it to 70. And then you got to move yourself up. But everybody can move up. Everybody. And one of my favorite studies that we read was about Holocaust victims. And they told their stories of what they were grateful for and the person who snuck them food and the person mm -hmm. who, you know, put a coat underneath the wires. And if they can learn to be grateful, mm -hmm. wow, so can we. And But what they found is when other people heard their gratitude stories, it raised their gratitude levels. Right, because you're like, if you can, can be do it, right. gracious. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, my gosh, somebody's done something for me, too. Oh, yeah. my gosh, I didn't think to focus on it. So being around grateful people is definitely key Contagious. because you are the product of what you surround yourself with. And in physics, there's a law that, you know, energy seeks its lowest source. And so when you walk in a room and it's full of negative people, you're even if you're way up here, you, you'll drop. Mm. And they love being around you and because you raise them up. And they get to go home and feel better, but they've sucked you dry. Right. So I'm very careful about you know, where I stay very long. And our professor used to say, you know, you're responsible for the energy you put out, but you're also responsible for the energy you allow in. Mm -hmm. And I would say, learn, be aware of who you're around. But the second thing I would say is, you know, take baby steps. Just today go, you know what? I'm going to think of one thing I'm grateful for. And I'm going to look right now. I tell people every, every day, stop what you're doing and look, find one thing. And like, oh my gosh, that cloud over there looks like a Big Mac. And, you know, like you just can find anything if you take the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny. We haven't talked a whole lot about kids like we usually do. But the reason is because modeling is so important. Oh, it's the most important. And all the research shows that children are the easiest to learn to be grateful because they don't have, oops, sorry, they don't have 50 years worth of wiring in their brain to unhook. Mm -hmm. They're little, you know, and, and they see the world through grateful eyes already until we tell them to put the blinders on. Mm -hmm. So children are the most susceptible. They're the easiest to pick it up. But the best number one way they pick it up is by modeling. Mm -hmm. Someone modeled it for them and they're like, oh, we, we're grateful for that. Oh yeah, me too. And I'm supposed to be grateful that, you know, I have feet. I thought they just grew down there, you know? <laughs> and so just teaching your children to be consciously aware, you know, and if you see a homeless person and, and you're, you know, I'm so grateful that I have never once in my life had to worry about being homeless, mm -hmm. that I have family who loves me and would always take me in regardless of my financial status. Every single time I see a homeless person, I stop and tell myself that mm -hmm. because I am grateful. I've never had that happen. I've never been hungry a day in my life. I have never struggled in school. I'm so grateful that I have had a family that, you know, helped me. And in, in being as parents, this is a, a key. As a, This is a teacher neuroscientist tip. For whatever your child struggles in, find at least that many things that they're good at. And I don't care if they can tie their shoes faster than the average bear. You tell them every day, man, you're the best shoe tire I've ever seen. Because they hold four to one those negative things. Mm -hmm. And I, I posted on my Facebook page last week that I saw this quote that said, when you criticize your children, they don't stop loving you. They stop, don't, they stop mm, loving themselves. themselves. And because you're teaching them what they are. You're a failure. You're not good at math. You're not good at that. And so, like, you know, my son is not the greatest at grammar. 
and he still he's in sixth grade and i have to remind him to put a capital letter in a period i'm like you should know that by now but you know i'll say oh my gosh brady i saw that you were so excited to tell the story that you forgot your grammar and maybe at the end let's go back and let's look at that mm -hmm. but i always tell him what he did right before i tell him what he did wrong mm -hmm. because once you tell somebody what they did wrong their brain the, the reticular activating systems shoots off the protection mode and so once you're in defense mode you are no longer thinking. So you're just protecting yourself or you're going, oh, I know, I'm terrible. I suck at grammar. I hate, mm -hmm. I'm not good at anything. Man, I'm terrible at school. Even my teacher makes faces. And so then they start recalling all of that. So it, help your child see what they're good at and remind them of it every single day, every day. And if it's not what you wanted to be good at, you know, and it was hard for me a little bit because I had a, a superstar athlete and then I have one that could care less. And I'm like, you know what? That's not my place to tell him what he's good at. That was mm -hmm. the gifts he was given. And it's my job to encourage them. It's my job to build him up to be the best he can be, not be the best I want him to be. Right. And yeah, I love that you said that Brady, your youngest, is the one that's most um, naturally grateful. grateful. And it's because it's something that you've modeled for him yes. his whole life, his really, whole life. right? Uh -huh. Yeah. So that's something that we as parents really need to grasp onto because they are for sure going to be watching us and doing what we, we do. do. That's with anything, honestly. But um, just I just love this concept of gratitude and just taking control of your brain and not letting it be the boss of you. And if people want, I have the, a thing um, that I will happily email you for free. It's called the uh, Daily Dozen, and it's a dozen things that parents can do daily oh, nice. to incorporate gratitude in their children. If they'll just email me, I'll, I'll send it to them. We can put it on our website. Okay, because it's so easy. I mean, it's little things. Like, you know, we do gratefuls at dinner, and I have learned more about my child at dinner than I ever did you know any other way because when your kids get home from school and you'll say how was how was school good what'd you learn nothing you know what'd you do not much you know the, that's the typical thing they say but you know at at dinner he'll say when we have to say our gratefuls and he'll say oh my gosh i'm so grateful i got picked first in dodgeball today even though i'm not the best because they knew i had the best strategy mm. and i'm like that's so awesome. Or, you know, just recently he said, I'm so glad I, I picked the clarinet to play because there's only four boys playing the clarinet. It's all girls. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. And I said, why did you choose the clarinet, Brady? And he said, Squidward. I said, what? And I said, he said, you know, SpongeBob, that Squidward played the clarinet? I said, we just bought an instrument based on Squidward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I thought I saw into his little head things that he would have never told me mm -hmm. but when he learns to be grateful for that you know it's it's just it's it's magic it's magic at the dinner table i love that we'll definitely have that tool on our website and i wanted to mention i actually downloaded a couple of apps because i'm, I'm just very techie and it my phone is always with me and so is everybody else's phone so it's just helpful to have things on your phone that can help with this so i did download the 365 gratitude app mm -hmm. and so this is kind of the mother of gratitude apps i noticed so it has a gratitude jar and you press on that jar and then you you know do posts kind of yeah. like you would on Facebook it allows you to do pictures and you can either take a picture or get one out of your phone which I thought was kind of cool because yesterday my gratitude my I was grateful that my daughter my seven-year-old um, one dot day 
at her school, she decorated a shirt with a bunch of dots and she won for the first grade. So I was grateful for that and I took a picture of her with her shirt on. Uh, But this also will allow you to level up. You can get points and awards and titles and things for that. You can also join with other people uh, on the app and build a community of other grateful people and look at what they're grateful for. Watch their posts. And then this is the coolest thing. There's something called Joy and she's a llama. Joy, your happiness coach. Ah. (laughs) What she does (laughs) is she will ask you questions based on the topic that you want to talk about. So I chose friends yesterday. And so she would say, you know, who's a friend that you're grateful for? And I said, Robin. And why are you grateful for Robin? Well, I'm grateful because she does this. Well, tell me more about that. And then she just kept prompting me. And so (laughs) because the more specific you are, Mm -hmm. that's the trigger. Because when people used to do gratitude journals when they first came out, they um, you had to do like 10 things you were grateful for, 50 things you're grateful for. That's a lot. And what they found in the brain is eventually that started creating a burden. Mm. And so then gratitude was linked to burdens and heavy loads and, you know, the monotonous stuff you don't want. And you definitely don't want that. Yeah. So I do a gratitude journal every night, but I write one thing Mm -hmm. and it has to have happened that day. Mm -hmm. And I write it in as much detail as possible, being very specific. And then when I'm having a moment, as I call them, of a down time, I go back and start reading my gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And it instantly will pick me up because I wrote it in so much detail that yeah. I can relive it in yeah. my head. Yeah. And when you tell people, like, thanks for dinner, mom, you know, th- that's nice. But that's more manners. But if you say, thanks for dinner, mom, oh, my gosh, you fixed my favorite thing. I love chicken spaghetti. You've been making it since I was four. You know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'll make it for you every day. You know, you love that as a parent. And if we tell our kids, you know, thank you, son, for taking the trash out. I was running behind today. I appreciate that you're always willing to help. Guess what they're going to do next time? Help. Take, yeah. Reward the behavior. And and <laughs> we, as parents and schools especially, there's two things. It's called affirmations and recognition. And we normally just give people gratitude for recognition. We mm-hmm. recognize A on a row. We recognize, you know, top salesmen. We recognize all these things. Well, they're already getting recognized anyway. Right. That's not gratitude. But when you're grateful for the guy that came in second place and mm. you say, you know what, John, I saw you got second place, but man, I'm grateful you're on my team because you're consecutively working your hardest every day. Mm-hmm. Tell the little kid, you know, Johnny, I'm so glad you made a 75. That's six points higher than last time. I'm so proud of you that you're working so hard. What will he do? Oh, my gosh, six points. I'm so proud of myself. Instead of, you know, oh, A on a roll, B on a you know, he's never going to get that. But he can always improve. When you're grateful for those things, I'm so grateful that you're the best trier in my classroom. I love a trier. You know, it, you see kids for what they have to offer, mm-hmm. and they will do so much more than they ever thought they could do. And imagine how we could change the world, world if you're not only changing your own disposition in your own life, but if you're sharing that with other people, there would be so much less violence and yes. unkindness and all of the things that are just and when, making our world very kids, scary place. Yes, when kids look at each other and see you're not like me, they're automatically, oh, I'm scared of you. You're not like me. But if you go, oh, my gosh, you're not like me. I love your hair. <laughs> I always wished I had curly hair. Or you're not like me. You know, I love your shoes. It, and see what they have to offer instead of what you're afraid of. Yeah, that's so great. 
Thank you so much. You're Unfortunately, so we're out of time. We could talk about this for another hour. And I feel great. I don't okay. know about y'all listening, but I feel wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we always want to let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. We do want to talk about North Texas Giving Day. This is our final week. It's actually happening this Thursday. So North Texas Giving Day is an 18-hour online giving event designed to empower every person to give back to their community by supporting North Texas nonprofits and the causes that they care about. So each year, Noggin receives support from cities all over the U.S. And because we have school days now, we actually get to list, uh, get to hear uh, get to share Noggin with people all over the world. So Noggin uses this money collected from North Texas Giving Day to fund our free tutoring program. This year, we were able to give free tutoring to 13 students because of North Tex- Texas Giving Day last year. So this year, we already have 20 students on our waiting list. We're asking that 334 people give at least $30. $30 is great. And if, if your pocketbook says that you can give thir- more than 30 that would help us to get to our goal even faster. So right now, today and through, uh, through September 19th, you can schedule your giving. And uh, September 19th is actually North Texas Giving Day, and that's my birthday. So go to uh, NorthTexasGivingDay.com, and you're going to search for Noggin. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And you can also go to SchoolDays.com. And for those that are listening online, before we end the Facebook feed, I will put a link in there. Next week, I'll sit down with Preeti Ahuja, who is a student engagement coordinator in the Social Emotional Learning Department of DISD, that's Dallas Independent School District. Research shows that social emotional intervention leads to better classroom behavior, ability to manage stress, stronger decision making, higher likelihood of obtaining a college degree and adult employment. So make sure you tell your parent friends about next week. As always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com, for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And do you, YouTube? You can find episodes of School Days and other videos featuring the fun educational programs we offer through Noggin on our YouTube channel. So go to YouTube and search for Noggin Educational Foundation. And last but not least, we always want to end the show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at info at schooldaysshow.com. Have a great week. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.